Hi everybody, it's James Rudd with The Heart Podcast. It's another COVID special and I hope you out there are all doing well and staying safe. This podcast for reference was recorded on the 8th of April. Today I'm joined by two doctors from London, Dr. Charlotte Manesty and Dr. Mardi Nosradegi, a cardiologist and a virologist respectively, who are leading a study called the Bart's COVID Sortium Bioresource Study. They'll tell you all about the study in the podcast, and I will put links to the things that we discuss as well. I hope you enjoy the show. Maybe we can start by perhaps you, Charlotte, introducing yourself for the uh, the heart audience. Hi, I'm Charlotte Manistee, and I'm a consultant cardiologist at BART, and I'm an associate professor at UCL. So under normal circumstances, I specialize in cardiac MRI and cardio-oncology, so highly specialized areas of cardiovascular medicine that are probably not directly relevant to COVID. Um, so this is a complete departure from my normal normal work. And Maddy, could you do the same? Could you tell us who you are and where you work? Yes, of course. So, Mahdoud I'm a professor of infectious diseases at UCL and a consultant in infectious diseases at, uh, at University College uh, Hospital. Um, I, I guess just to follow on from Charlotte's point, uh, although I'm an infection specialist, uh, COVID-19 is, is a new disease. And so we're on a really steep learning curve about, um, about what this disease is, all, is, is like and what, how it affects people. Um, and as a result, research and being able to do research very quickly is 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 critical to that learning curve. Absolutely. And perhaps we can start off by Charlotte, uh, me asking you how you ended up doing research into an infectious disease. So this was largely through James Moon, um, who's a colleague of mine um, here at Barts and UCL, and Maddie's um, long-standing friendship, I think, and, and a real feeling of impotence from the cardiology end in terms of us not really being able to deliver. So all of us as academic cardiologists have tools at our disposal, uh, skills that we have, and suddenly we find ourselves essentially redundant um, it was really through discussing how we should be thinking about the COVID crisis and what we can, what skills we can use and offer um, that this project got off the ground. Um, largely what we needed to do and what we realised we needed to do was to focus not so much on the very sick patients that are on ITU, uh, in whom clinical trials are underway and for whom there were already established um, clinical studies available and worked up based on previous pandemics, ISARIC, etc. Um, but we wanted to understand more about uh, factors before patients get very sick. So what it is that determines why some patients develop severe disease and some patients are relatively asymptomatic. So what we recognise is that we have, well, certainly James and myself have zero knowledge essentially on any of their detailed basis, basic science. So we couldn't really offer anything in that domain. But what we could offer was the infrastructure, the staff, the kind of work and um, desire to get get answers um, to develop a bioresource. So all of us have applied for ethics before. We've applied for funding. We've uh, run clinical studies under stressful situations. And so what we decided to do was to uh, very quickly put everybody's pool, everyone's resources together and to try and develop a bioresource, which we could then essentially hand over to the scientists to do the clever stuff on and give us some answers. Okay, and the, and the bioresource, interestingly, was on people who work across your various hospitals. Is that right? 
Exactly. So um, it, the other thing that becomes very, very quickly apparent is that um, you're not going to be able to study the general population as you would under normal circumstances. It's very difficult uh, in a pandemic such as this to consider going into people's houses or asking them to come into the hospital to study them. We can't ask random patients or, or members of the public to come in and have tests done in a hospital where even patients' relatives are prevented from coming in. Mm. We also know that healthcare workers have very high exposure rates. Um, the data from Italy shows that you know, really very high proportion of the patients um, with COVID are healthcare workers or, or and those with those who are healthcare workers have high rates of um, infection. And therefore, that was a population where we know they'd have high exposure, where there are stable population who are coming in and out of work regularly and who have to come into the hospital as part of their jobs. And therefore, we would be able to study both pre-exposure, during exposure and potentially infection, and then subsequent to infection to understand uh, the immunology behind, behind their disease. And what were the main, what are the main aims of the study? Because clearly it's, uh, it's still ongoing. So I suppose there's two stages to it. The first stage is developing the bioresource. And that's really where James and myself and the team at BARTS and now at NHS Nightingale come in. So what we're going to do is we've already recruited uh, 400 participants. So we managed to recruit all of the initial cohorts of 400 participants within 10, 10 days or seven working days of initiation of the study. Um, our colleagues across the hospital, nurses, doctors, porters, uh, allied health professionals, all, all of whom had, were working hard uh, in terms of clinical frontline work, uh, were happy to give up their time and come and participate in the study and give not only clinical information, but also blood samples and nasal swabs at baseline. And we collected all of that baseline data, as I said, within 10 days. We're then following those participants up weekly with weekly data collection and uh, sample collection. And then we will collect data at six months and 12 months. Um, essentially, uh, what we can do at BARTS is, and as cardiologists is generate that data set. So that's what we're doing. As I said, the science is being done by Maddie and other basic scientists, and he can probably discuss that in more detail. Yeah, Maddie, please go ahead and tell us some of the, some of the aims of the study from, from your point of view. Um, yeah, so so often when people uh, present to hospital with a with a disease, they're quite a long way into their illness, and uh, when we try to measure uh, um, components or measure measure what's happening in their immune system and in the, in their response to the infection, um, we can't really disentangle uh, what's driving the disease and what is the effect uh, of the disease, and so um, we're left sort of uh, thinking about. Uh, uh, what what are the actual where where are the actual parts of the response that can tell us really why some people remain well and why people develop illness, and so what's unique about this study or the design of this study is that we're sampling we're taking samples from people at the very earliest time points after they might become exposed, often before they become exposed, and then hopefully within the first few days after their exposure and infection, possibly before they develop any symptoms. And then when we follow those people up, we can we can try to understand how those measurements we made very early on in the infection uh, can determine what what happens to them afterwards, whether they remain well and or, or whether they develop mild symptoms or very severe illness. And I think that information is going to be critical going forward 
uh, trying to predict uh, how different people react to becoming infected and, and ultimately might give us new targets for treatments in the future. And you're also looking at the genotype of the people you're recruiting into the study, is that right? Yeah, so, so one question that arises is why, why might people have different immune responses? And a common reason for that is variation in their uh, host genetics. Uh, small variations that might have a big impact on the way they might respond to an infection. Uh, as things stand, this study probably isn't big enough to really address uh, um, uh, or, or provide us with the opportunity to, to measure um, all of the genetic variants that might uh, be important in determining the outcome. Uh, but there are other studies that uh, are aiming to do this, and this will the, our, our resource will complement those additional studies. And Charlotte, maybe we can talk about how you managed to get to get funding and ethics and get this thing off the ground in such short order. Well, I think we were very lucky in that quite early on, um, certainly the HRA decided that there needed to be a rapid approvals process for um, research, which they felt was important uh, in the domain of COVID. So we managed to get ethics from basically first thought or first conversation about the study to ethical approvals took just over a week which as wow. all of us recognize is really kind of almost unheard of. Yeah. And then we were able to really hit the ground running. Um, we had the staff, I suppose we started the study slightly before we were inundated here at Barts with patients. So we had that advantage of having some staff uh, who were not being used so much on the clinical front line because clinical cardiology, for example, had essentially all elective work had, had shut down. So there were staff who, were, who had some time and availability to give to the study. Um, but uh, in terms of recruitment, we were very lucky that we publicized it well within the hospital. So we got all of our participants recruited very quickly prior to uh, the number of patients coming in with COVID really taking off. Um, in terms of funding, that's where really we took a slightly unusual approach here. So normally we would get ethical approval and funding alongside each other and then start the study. We decided that actually we couldn't wait for funding to come through. Um, we were not in a position to wait for the pandemic to start and the peak to come before starting the research. We had to start at that time point. So we actually started the project without any funding, essentially. Some soft funding right, from research funds. And then we've actually set up a Just Giving uh, page um, through uh, Barch Charity. We've raised uh, 160000 through public and uh, company donations so far. We're getting some university funding. We're applying for external funding and there's still funding coming in. So we're slightly working on a hand-to-mouth existence to keep the research going. But we've been very lucky to have a lot of help from um, staff who haven't yet been redeployed, for example. Um, we're using a kit that we're buying outside of NHS funds, of course, because the important thing is to make sure that we're not using any resources that should be used on the front line. Um, and we're just taking it day by day and uh, week by week um, and seeing how things go. But it's been an extraordinary response both from staff and staff participants. And what's really been most gratifying, I think, is the number of research groups from other institutions that have approached us and are interested in using the data. Because obviously the aim is we're developing this bioresource, but we need the scientists to take this forward to look at all different angles of the disease, immunology, genetics, the virology, um, and also we've been approached by uh, some SMEs, for example, who are developing um, 
new tests, diagnostic tests, and want to use our data to validate it on. So we've been really gratified that actually what we're doing has potentially got significant impact by the interest that we're getting from the other research groups in using the data. Yeah, it's going to be an amazing bioresource. And are you planning to wait until the the twelve month follow up is finished before you do analysis, or are you are you going to analyze bits and pieces, aspects of the study as you go along? So that's a really good question. Again, um, just what we're doing initially is actually expanding the cohorts. We recruited so quickly, and we recognise it's as Maddie said, in order to be able to do genetics, etc., we need we need some more power. So given that we've now been expanding into the Nightingale, we're just got an ethics amendment submitted today to expand to a thousand uh, participants and we also are working with a group in Sydney and a second group in Cape Town both of whom are going to take this on which actually gives a different dome a different kind of slant on this as well because southern hemisphere uh, disease patterns etc different ethnic groups and different genetics etc so that will be a really interesting added component in terms of the analysis again Maddie will probably be able to talk about this more than myself but I think the plan is to look at some initial um, uh, viral PCR um, at baseline um, but not to take things on and, uh, further but Maddie you probably want to talk about that more. Uh, sure I mean I think the, the, the I think a very early um, uh, analysis that we is necessary to do and will be informative and useful is, is to understand as we take this cohort forward um, the frequency of infection in healthcare workers, um, at, which is both symptomatic uh, and means that they they have to stop working for a period of time, uh, or actually asymptomatic. And I think that those data will will be of general interest to the to the field and uh, will also inform how we take the scientific uh, analysis forward. And can you talk a little bit, perhaps, of the the different tests you're doing? Uh, in terms of the viral load and maybe antibody tests are these experimental ones that are being developed uh, as you go along with the study or are these ones that you've taken off the shelf and, and modified from other tests for example sure so the viral swabs that uh, people will have, will have heard about generally are pretty well established now as the diagnostic test to look for the presence of virus uh, in a specimen um, in this case from a specimen taken from the back of the nose or the back of the throat um, and they are uh, um, well established and uh, reasonably um, accurate. Uh, we, the, the, the antibody tests that tell us about whether someone has had a significant exposure um, at some point in the past are less well developed. And people will be aware in the sort of general media that there is still some concern about the accuracy of these tests. And I think that at the moment we're still um, investigating how good these tests are so that we can interpret their results uh, correctly. And those might take a little bit longer to, to obtain. And just as we start to wrap up, uh, both of you, is there anything that people listening to the podcast can do? Is there any information out there or if people want to donate money or time or resources or brain power to study, what should they do? So certainly from the funding point of view, we're still seeking funding and you can find the funding website by Just Giving um, and Bart's Charity. Um, I think in terms of resources, um, we are potentially keen for scientists who may have been furloughed, who may have skills that could be used um, to help 
anyone with research nurse skills, again, we'd be very keen to hear from. I think one of the issues we're now facing um, in the last week or so is that uh, obviously NIHR is appropriately prioritizing uh, the three main clinical trials, which means that many of our nurses are going to be redeployed to uh, those areas. Mm. And it's trying to keep um, supplies of not only staff, but also all of our consumables that can be quite challenging. We've had to source, for example, the nasal swabs. We've been ringing around, around three or 400 GP practices so far to see if any of them have got any nasal swabs tucked away in the back of their store cupboards <laughs> to try and send to us. Um, Things which under normal circumstances might seem straightforward to do become incredibly challenging. Trying to access any PPE kit, for example, is extremely challenging because we cannot use NHS supplies entirely correctly. Um, but it means that we have to try and source this independently. Everything becomes challenging, really. And, and many of the, as we were discussing earlier, many of the labs, the science labs have shut down. And um, so trying to get some of those stuff to come and help with the research would be extremely valuable. Well, I'll certainly put a link uh, to the Just Giving page in the show notes uh, when this podcast comes out, which will hopefully be in a few days. And um, if people wanted to contribute academically, I, I see in the in the uh, the word document you sent me, you're looking at things like um, a big data approach to to who might get infected and networks through which things uh, the infection might move. Also, things like the influence of nutrients on your chance of developing infection or a bad infection. Is there any other areas that you think you need help with that people may be able to get in touch with you about? So the honest answer I would say is that we don't know and we're developing a platform that people can contact us, mm. tell us what, what it is that they can offer or the question that they have mm. um, uh, and we can see whether we can help by providing data for that. So Perfect. we're re reliant on our basic scientists to advise us on that. So Maddie and various others within UCL and QMEL are helping to advise us on what are appropriate lines to follow. But, um, you know, we're, we're happy to, to take, we welcome really any, any potential scientific questions or any other groups that have particular questions that they think our data might be able to address um, because the more answers we can get from the data, the better. Brilliant. Well, I just want to uh, finish by thanking you both for joining me today. It's a really fascinating and laudable effort to get up and running in just a few days. And uh, I will, uh, as I say, put links to everything we've discussed in the show notes. But uh, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you.